Hello, everyone, and welcome to the September 26th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The California Attorney General Kamala Harris announced that California, along with 34 other states, have filed an antitrust lawsuit against Invidor, a British pharmaceutical company, and Monosol, an Indiana film technology company. The complaint, filed in the U.S. District Court in Pennsylvania, alleges that Invidior and Monosol engaged in a multi-pronged product hopping scheme to block competition for its drug Suboxone, an opioid addiction treatment. Officials claim that ultimately the scheme generated almost $1 billion in undeserved profits. Using the product hopping scheme, pharmaceutical companies try to maintain a monopoly on their drug by slightly reformulating the product in a way that blocks generic competitors without offering any significant medical or therapeutic advantages to patients. Attorney General Harris says that Invidior and Monosol flagrantly violated the law, deceiving doctors and patients, and shutting down generic competition in order to rake in profits. Invidior was granted FDA approval in 2002 for Suboxone top tablets, along with exclusive rights to sell the drug for seven years. During this time, Invidior generated over a billion dollars in sales of the Suboxone tablets. When its exclusive rights expired in 2009, the company was faced with generic competition expected to eliminate 80% of its profits from Suboxone tablets within a year. Invidior, with Monosol's assistance, thwarted that competition by switching the form of Suboxone from tablet to film. Authorities allege it falsely claimed the tablets presented pediatric safety issues, made unfounded claims to physicians that tablets were dangerous, and raised the price of its tablet while lowering the price of the film version. Though these actions, NVIDIAR was able to maintain artificially high prices for Suboxone. The complaint alleges that the conduct and agreement between Invidior and Monosol constitutes monopolization, conspiracy to monopolize, and illegal restraint of trade in violation of federal antitrust laws, as well as California's Cartwright Act and unfair competition law. The complaint seeks to require Invidior to pay back any profits that resulted from the illegal conduct and injunctive relief to ensure the conduct is not continued or repeated. NVIDIAR said that it would vigorously defend its position. And now our crime report. Detectives from the California Department of Insurance arrested Dr. Edward Albert G. Balbus and chiropractor John Brunel and Alejandra Brunel on felony insurance fraud charges for allegedly conspiring to submit more than 165 fraudulent bills to several health insurers totaling at least $380,000 over a three-year period. The three were owners of Corona Physical Medicine and allegedly developed a scheme to mark up insurance reimbursement claims for laboratory tests. 
The suspects paid Cell Science Systems, an out-of-state lab, between $312 and $625 for the lab tests, but billed insurers more than $4,000 for the same test. The suspects hid their alleged crime by claiming they processed and analyzed the blood tests through an in-house lab so the insurers were unaware that the actual costs to process the lab tests. Edward Albert G. Balbus is listed by the DWC as a QME in two specialties, pain medicine and physical medicine and rehabilitation. He is listed to perform QME evaluations in Corona, Irvine, Rancho Cucamonga, Colton, and Indio. Board of Medicine records say he is a graduate of the University of Santo Tomas Faculty of Medicine in Sampaloc, Manila, Philippines. He has no prior disciplinary record on file with that agency. The suspects self-surrendered at the Riverside County Court and bail was set at $382,000 for each suspect. The defendants are scheduled to appear in court again on October 24. Six defendants who participated in a multi-million dollar health care fraud scheme or helped launder the proceeds have now been sentenced to federal prison with the final defendant receiving his prison term. 32-year-old Edgar Pagosian, who lives in Glendale, was sentenced to 18 months in prison. Pagosian was found guilty earlier this year of money laundering-related charges after a four-week jury trial. Prosecutors say that over the course of nearly seven years, he personally laundered over $700,000 in health care fraud proceeds. Over the past month, United States District Judge Philip Gutierrez sentenced two other defendants involved in the scheme. 44-year-old Karen Gary Sarkissian, also of Glendale, was sentenced on September 12 to 57 months in federal prison after the same jury found him guilty of money laundering and five counts of health care fraud. And 58-year-old Latanya Smith, who lives in Ladera Heights, was sentenced on August 22 to 57 months imprisonment after she pleaded guilty to five counts of health care fraud. Smith pleaded guilty on the eve of the four-week trial. Sarkissian operated a clinic on Sunset Boulevard in Echo Park and worked there with Smith, a physician's assistant. Between July 2009 and March 2010, Smith prescribed or ordered medically unnecessary tests and services, some of which were never provided to the patients. Those prescriptions and orders led to more than $1.2 million in fraudulent claims from the Sunset Clinic. Other providers that received referrals from the Sunset Clinic submitted another $10 million in fraudulent claims. Sarkissian also participated in a scheme that laundered the proceeds through five bogus corporations set up by two other men who were previously convicted and sentenced in this case. The sixth defendant, 74-year-old Dr. Claude R. Cahen, who lives in Santa Monica, pleaded guilty to conspiring to commit health care fraud and was sentenced to 12 months and one day last March. A Palos Verdes physician who was charged with illegally prescribing drugs to undercover operatives was convicted by a downtown Los Angeles jury after two hours of deliberation. 
44-year-old Dr. Richard Seyong Yun Kim was found guilty of 17 felony counts of unlawfully prescribing controlled substances without a legitimate medical need to undercover operatives. Kim was a 1998 graduate of the University of Alabama School of Medicine. His prescription rights have been suspended by court order since July 2015. Prosecutors said Kim would ask the operatives to bring in prior medical charts and x-rays to justify the prescribing. On one occasion, an operative brought in a chest x-ray of a dog, including its tail, that was used to justify his prescriptions. Over the course of three months, Kim wrote prescriptions for Norco, Xanax, Soma, and Adderall without even conducting a physical exam taking any vital signs, or completing any medical charts at his clinic. His office had no staff, and he typically exchanged text messages with patients to arrange appointments. He did not accept insurance, only cash or credit cards. During appointments, Kim sat behind a desk and engaged mostly in small talk. The undercover appointments were recorded by hidden cameras, and the video footage was shown to jurors. He faces up to 13 years, four months in local custody when he returns on September 30th for sentencing. He had been free on $100,000 bail during his trial, but was immediately remanded after the verdict was read. His defense attorney said he was disappointed by the verdict and planned to argue to keep him out of jail. The case against Kim was investigated by the Drug Enforcement Administration, whose operatives posed as patients at Kim's clinic on Western Avenue in Torrance over the course of three months. Former San Diego Chargers great Ron Mix, a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, pleaded guilty in federal court in Missouri to a tax fraud charge stemming from his post football career as a California workers' compensation lawyer where he allegedly paid kickbacks. Mix has been a successful workers' compensation lawyer since his retirement from the game. Many of his clients are former professional athletes who made claims for injuries suffered during their playing days, usually years after their careers ended. Mix filed about 300 such cases in the final month before the law changed in 2013. But this federal criminal case was prosecuted in Kansas City because some of the clients referred to Mix lived in the Western District of Missouri. Mix's guilty plea was reported to the state bar court on August 3, 2016. This September, the state bar court issued an interim suspension order that ordered he be suspended from the practice of law effective September 26, 2016, pending final disposition of the disbarment proceeding. He has not yet been sentenced in his federal criminal case. And in medical news, members on both sides of the aisle were not buying Mylan Pharmaceuticals CEO Heather Bresch's defense during a House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform hearing. Her company's move to increase the cost of EpiPens by more than 400% since 2007 has raised the ire of the entire country. She told the panel that she knew there is considerable concern and skepticism about the pricing, 
and that many people incorrectly assume her company makes $600 off of each EpiPen. She claims that actually the company makes roughly $50 off of each of the life-saving allergy shots. But Elijah Cumming, the committee ranking member, said he was not impressed with her claim and believes it's wrong to get filthy rich by exploiting the company's monopoly on the market. He also said they use the simple but corrupt business model that other drug companies have repeatedly used. Find an older cheap drug that is virtually no competition and then raise the price over and over and over again. The embattled CEO argued she did not anticipate the financial burdens patients would face due to the sharp rise in costs, adding that the company plans to put out a generic version at half the cost. While Bresch maintained the drug is not as profitable as members might believe, she increased her salary by a whopping 671% over the course of eight years. She earned almost $19 million in 2015. Tennessee Republican John Duncan said, adding that she, he is disgusted that she was profiting on the backs of sick children. Democrat Bonnie Coleman from New Jersey slammed Bresch for flying to the hearing on a private jet and the company's decision to move its headquarters overseas to lower its tax rates. The EpiPen is an auto-injector used to reverse life-threatening allergic reactions. It is inextricably tied to Bresch, whose ascension at the company tracks with the product's rapid growth. Bresch first adopted EpiPen in 2007 when Mylan purchased the generic drugs division of Germany's Merck Pharmaceuticals for $6.7 billion. Then it was unremarkable in business terms, a simple plastic device that, with the push of a button, injected what Bloomberg has estimated to be about a dollar's worth of the generic hormone epinephrine to treat deadly anaphylactic shock. The device sold for about $57 back then, and it made just $200 million a year in profits for Merck. After that, the price was increased about 400% to about $600 after the acquisition. A U.S. Congressional Committee has launched an examination of the FDA's criminal office, raising questions about the unit's management and handling of cases involving food, drugs, and devices. The House Energy and Commerce Committee told the FDA commissioner that it is examining management concerns and possible morale concerns with the field offices of the Office of Criminal Investigations. The September 20 letter seeks answers to a detailed list of questions not later than October 12. An FDA spokeswoman said the agency received the letter and will respond to the committee directly. The House questions come two weeks after Reuters News reported how some FDA agents complain that the criminal office managers have forced them to pursue cases involving mislabeled foreign imported injectable drugs at the expense of cases with more potential to protect the public health. Current and former agents complain they have turned into what they call 
Botox police. They spend thousands of hours chasing doctors who purchased authentic version of Allergen's anti-wrinkle drug that were labeled for use in other countries. Some agents say their efforts have done little more than protect the pharmaceutical industry's high drug prices in the United States. Those concerns come as the criminal office has had mixed success in bringing cases. From fiscal year 2008 to 2015, more than half of all opened Office of Criminal Investigation cases were closed without any action. The House Committee asked the FDA to explain the processes for how criminal cases get opened and how to provide statistics on the OCI's arrests, convictions, case initiations, and the amount of money recovered. The House Committee also questions how the FDA responded to two prior reports from the Government Accountability Office and the Health and Human Services Office of the Inspector General that were critical of the criminal office. The 2012 OIG report cited problems with how the Rockville-based office is run and concluded that field officers lack the discretion to open cases to address food and drug concerns prevalent in their locales. The report cited a lack of independence within the FDA's criminal office. The OCI is housed within the Office of Regulatory Affairs, which is responsible for compliance inspections and helps determine the criminal office's budget. The Inspector General recommended structural changes to ensure the independence of investigations. But the FDA leadership at the time rejected those suggestions. Some agents have questioned the office's priorities and say they have on occasion been told not to open cases involving other federal agencies. The United Nations scheduled a pivotal meeting to combat antibacterial resistance during its General Assembly session. This is a move that some are calling a wake-up call in the war against deadly infections that kill thousands of people every year. The meeting in New York is part of the week-long General Assembly, which convenes leaders from around the globe. It is the first high-level global meeting on antibiotic resistance and only the fourth time that the General Assembly has taken up a healthcare issue, with other meetings focusing on outbreaks such as Ebola. The Senior Advisor for Antibiotic Resistance Coordination and Strategy for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said that the end of the antibiotic era is upon us in many parts of the world. But, he added, that we are not too late. Ahead of the United Nations General Assembly high-level meeting on antimicrobial resistance, 13 leading pharmaceutical companies presented a new roadmap that lays out four key commitments to deal with the problem. The commitments follow the principles identified and agreed upon in the industry declaration made at the 2016 World Economic Forum in Davos earlier this year and reflect on the company's intent to continue to proactively contribute to the global efforts to address antimicrobial resistance. This unprecedented collaboration between the pharmaceutical companies marks a major milestone in the fight. 
They hope to ensure antibiotics are used only by patients who need them. Companies that have signed up to the scheme include leaders in both branded and generic drug production. This includes Pfizer, Merck, Novartis, GlaxoSmithKline, and Allergan, as well as Indian drug makers Kipla and Wachart. Though the problem of drug-resistance bacteria has been a feature of medicine since the discovery of penicillin in 1928, it has grown in recent years with the emergence of infections resistant to multiple drugs such as MRSA. And according to a new study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association Internal Medicine, between 2006 and 2012, antibiotic use in hospitals in general did not change, and the use of a class of drugs tied most closely to antibiotic resistance actually increased. The authors of this study believe the increases in the use of more powerful and last resort antibiotics should prompt further exploration and, where indicated, actions to improve the use of these antibiotics. An inpatient prescribing of antibiotics for some infections is often inappropriate. The researchers reviewed adult and pediatric antibiotic use from 2006 to 2012 in 300 participating acute care hospitals. More than 24 million patients were discharged from these hospitals over the six-year period of the study. Over the whole period, 55% of the patients left the hospital having taken at least one dose of an antibiotic. Overall, for every 1,000 days of hospitalization, 775 days included antibiotic therapy. In some cases, providers were unaware of the treatment guidelines. In others, infections were misdiagnosed. For example, a provider thought a patient has an infection when they did not. And in many cases for hospitalized patients, antibiotics were started before all of the clinical information was available. Although overall antibiotic use stayed level over time, use of third and fourth generation antibiotics increased significantly. Broad spectrum antibiotics act against a wide variety of bacteria. Those are the big guns, and with increased use, the worry is that it will be leading to bacteria that is broadly resistant. Antibiotic overuse has been a problem for decades, but antibiotic use guidelines are already in place and do not need to be changed. Emerging markets have lost their luster for big pharma, making drug firms ever more dependent on the United States for growth. Just as American anger over high medicine prices is building. A few years ago, the developing world was seen as a financial savior for drug companies, as Patent after patent expired across the United States and Europe. But emerging market sales growth at the top drug firms slowed to less than 2% in the last quarter. Forecasts from independent experts now suggest the United States will account for 55% of all sales growth between 2016 and 2020, with emerging markets only contributing to 30%. 
the slowdown in China and other top emerging markets is being driven by a number of factors. Government pressure on drug prices, slowing economies, and in some cases significant currency devaluations. But the end result is that prescriptions for Americans will fund an even larger slice of the $1 trillion a year pharmaceutical industry. Company executives insist markets from China to Colombia to Mexico to Myanmar are an important engine for long-term growth given rising populations, increasing wealth, and the global march of diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. But the short-term picture is not pretty. Emerging markets growth is the slowest since drug companies started breaking out such regional sales numbers about seven years ago, with GlaxoSmithKline languishing at the bottom of the class. GSK's drug sales in China fell 14% in the three months to the end of June as the company continued to reshape its business following a damaging corruption scandal in 2013. Others are doing better in China, which is now the world's second biggest drug market behind the United States. But all are struggling with slowing sales growth, which slipped to its lowest rate since 2008 in July. By comparison, the United States offers better opportunities at the moment thanks to hugely profitable new drugs for diseases such as cancer and hepatitis C. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And please drop by again next week for more news.